Welcome to the Future of Growth podcast with Agrify, formerly known as Agrify Live. Here, we'll be exploring all things related to cannabis, ag tech, controlled environment agriculture, vertical farming, cultivation science, industry trends, and more. Informed by science and driven by data, episodes will enlighten our audience through open dialogue with thought leaders, innovators, and industry disruptors who are forging the future of growth. Join our host, David Kessler, Chief Science Officer at Agrify, as he dives into the many facets that cannabis and agriculture have to offer. Stay connected with Agrify by joining us on all platforms at Agrify Corp and by visiting our website, www.agrify.com. Sit tight for another episode of The Future of Growth, coming at you now. Hi, everybody. This is David Kessler. I'm the Vice President of Horticulture and Customer Success at Agrify, and you're watching another episode of Agrify Live. I'm thrilled today to be uh, joined by Dr. Jonathan Voigt. Uh, John, you are the CEO and President of Front Range Bioscience, and you've had an illustrious career in biotechnology. Uh, can you give us a little bit of background on yourself and what got you into the cannabis space? Yeah, certainly. Well, thanks, David. It's uh, it's nice to be here. Uh, so, as you mentioned uh, before, I started Front Range Biosciences and uh, took a deep dive uh, with my career into agriculture. Uh, you know, I, I spent uh, actually spent about 15 years uh, developing and commercializing uh, new technologies for human diagnostics, uh, food safety, and uh, you know, I, uh, I have a PhD in organic chemistry. So my formal training is uh, is as a synthetic organic chemist. Uh, did a lot of uh, nucleic acid chemistry and biochemistry uh, as as part of that training as well, and uh, I actually started my career in uh, in graduate school, and uh, I, I uh, helped develop uh, the core technology for a company uh, called Somalogic um, that was focused on using the human proteome to better understand uh, chronic illness in people and develop uh, personalized medicine, medicine uh, solutions. And uh, so a lot of our, our work was with uh, and for pharmaceutical companies, uh, everything from uh, early diagnosis of disease to uh, what we call target validation and the drug, drug uh, development process. Um, you know, really trying to understand, uh, you know, how drugs uh, affect people and, and how to prevent unwanted side effects and those types of things. Um, I uh, also uh, I spent a few years uh, helping start a company uh, called, uh, or helping build a company called Beacon um, in the food safety space, uh, focused on pathogen detection in, uh, in, in large scale uh, food processing and production facilities, um, things like salmonella, listeria, E. coli, a lot of similar technologies to uh, some of the work I did at, uh, at, at Somalogic, um, and then also helped uh, start another company called Velocity Sciences uh, on the back on the human side, uh, working closely with with pharma uh, companies to, uh, to to build um, lab tests or assays uh, around uh, around drug discovery and drug development programs for uh, target validation. Um, also spent a little bit of time in the uh, in the nonprofit world. Uh, started uh, or founded a 501c3 uh, nonprofit called Mount Flower Dairy uh, here in Colorado, and uh, it's an educational nonprofit that's focused on, on uh, providing the community with opportunities to learn about local agriculture, where their food comes from, and it's a small goat dairy, so it has the uh, the added uh, enjoyment and benefit of, uh, of of working with goats, uh, which, which is. <laughs> A lot of fun. So that's anyways, that's a little bit about my background. Wow. Uh, Dr. John, that is incredible. Can I can I just call you John for the rest of the interview? Would that be sure, that, that that works just fine? Much appreciated. That is a fascinating career. And I have so many questions. Uh, the first is about the goat dairy. You must be the famous goat dairy that has the yoga at Red Rocks. Is that correct? <laughs> Are you guys doing the goat yoga? So we, we don't do uh, we don't do it at, at Red Rocks, but we did it on the farm here in Boulder, and mm -hmm. uh, it was actually uh, written up in an article in National Geographic a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, but yeah, it's uh, we we did a, a whole bunch of different things. Uh, we have raw milk share for the for the community where people come and uh, and 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 get their uh, their milk on a weekly basis. 
Um, we also have a big volunteer uh, force that uh, you know was was exciting opportunity for uh, people in the community to get engaged with uh, with agriculture and and dairy. And then we also did we had a big educational program, so summer camps, workshops, and uh, and, and other educational opportunities for the uh, community. And then we had visiting hours on Saturdays where yeah. you can play with baby goats. Um, and then the, the goat yoga, of course was uh was was always a, a highlight for folks that uh it's more like adult playtime with uh with with goats than than, than what i would consider yoga, i i absolutely call it what you will <laughs> that it was and you know I, I can only imagine how much fun it was for families to get a better understanding of where their food came from something that's near and dear to my heart because i worked in the public school system for a while and was really disappointed when kids are telling you that carrots grow on trees and uh they really just are so removed from food production um, so it's great that you're introducing that to the community. And as far as the goats go, I hope you don't have this, but I remember when my little guy was about three years old and we were at the Atlanta zoo and he saw a goat with its little tail up and he saw the little circle at the back and he thought it was a button. So he, he just saw his face and he ran towards it, just determined to push the button. I advise you, everybody never push the button on the goat. Bad don't idea. push the button. Yeah, don't definitely button. don't push the button. <laughs> there you go. Um, but moving past that into your career at Soma, uh, Soma Logic, you talked about using protein screenings in the uh, assay development. Is that anything similar to how you're looking into plant breeding and plant markers? And what kind of crossover is there from that part of your career into the uh, hemp and cannabis industry now? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, assay development and, and assays, you know, it's a it's a, a basically a, a way of saying, you know, lab tests or, you know, it's an analytical method, if you will. And uh, so there's huge, huge variety of, uh, of different types of assays and, and how they can be used. And uh, but but the short answer is, yes, there's a ton of overlap. And, you know, and it's really using a lot of the same core technologies. So, you know, everything from uh, techniques like DNA sequencing and then the bioinformatics and the, uh, and, and the statistical analysis that's related to, you know, the data that comes from the, the DNA sequencing. Um, you know, we were using it in, uh, in understanding protein production and even human health. And, uh, and, and, and we also developed our own core technology at Somalogic that was, uh, was fairly unique. Um, using what we called aptamers that were uh, basically a, a DNA version of protein. So anyways, a lot of, of similar um, techniques and technologies, but now instead of applying them to human health, we're applying them to, uh, you know, to, uh, to agriculture. And a lot of the same techniques are used, um, you know, and then things like analytical chemistry. So, you know, how do we analyze small molecules? Um, you know, and in, uh, in, in people were looking at, at things like small molecule drugs or metabolites uh, that come from drugs um, or even, uh, you know, nutritional compounds or, or, uh, or compounds that are produced in the human body. And plants were also using analytical chemistry to look at things uh, like cannabinoids and terpenes and flavonoids and all the exciting things that um, they get produced in, uh, in, in plants like cannabis. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of similarity there. Um, you know, in terms of being able to, you know, bridge all of these different technologies and different parts of the laboratory and the ways that we interpret the data, you know, to basically get to the same outcome, which is, you know, we're trying to make, um, we're trying to, to capture insight, right, that allows us to make informed decisions, uh, you know, about you know, how to develop a new product or where it's going to be applied, you know, and so it's, it's really what, what we call in the diagnostics world, actionable insights. And so it's really about building technologies and connecting those technologies so that we can have actionable insights. And we're doing the same thing in plants, right? Um, so when you look, uh, you know, at, at plants and agriculture, you know, we use a lot of the same types of techniques, um, you know, even things like CRISPR, um, you know, we're using CRISPR to look at, uh, you know, gene therapies in, in people. You know, certainly CRISPR has been widely used in, uh, in, in plants. So um, really a lot of overlap there. And I've tried to really bring the same level of quality control and uh, some of the, the science and, and, you know, strategic way that we use these technologies from the human diagnostics world to 
agriculture and, and, and to, uh, to horticulture and to cannabis specifically. You know, there's a lot, a lot of companies that do this in other crops like corn and soy and wheat, but nobody had really applied these technologies in modern breeding and, and, uh, and, and bioinformatics and chemistry to, uh, to cannabis. So that's, that's pretty much what we do. It's, it's a brilliant concept, John, and, and honestly, one that is not just rife and, and needed in the industry, but really with a hundred years or more uh, lacking in traditional agricultural research, as well as the infrastructure to support such a burgeoning but nascent industry, uh, this kind of science and this business is, is just fantastic. You are no uh, stranger to the technology side or, or the desire to improve cannabis and hemp for the industry at a whole. Uh, you've just started the Front Range Bioscience Hemp Science Center for Excellence, and this is a partnership with a well-known laboratory equipment company, uh, Shimadzu, which has been in business for what, 150 years almost. And you're working with them really at the cutting edge of, of integrating their technology and your processes. Uh, can you go into a little bit about that Center for Excellence and, and what you're focused on there? Yeah, absolutely. So we're really pleased to be working with Shimadzu. Um, they're, uh, you know, really a world-class, you know, uh, analytical uh, instrumentation company. And, you know, they've been really one of the leaders and pioneers um, from that space to, to you know, to, to get involved in cannabis and, and really support the industry and offer solutions. Um, and, you know, at a time over the last, you know, decade where it's been a, you know, a, a transitional period and, and not a lot, it's a lot of, not a lot of companies have, you know, have, have really embraced it. Um, and uh, so they, they've been real leaders. And so we're, we're really pleased to be, uh, to be working with them. You know, the center of excellence is really, uh, you know, a concept um, for us, that's really about uh, analytical chemistry and leveraging, you know, some of the tools that they've developed, you know, whether it's simple things like cannabinoid potency and analysis um, to more complicated uh, analytical methods around, you know, all of the different terpenes that uh, we'd like to, to, to look at and, and quantify. Um, and then all, all the way to kind of next generation, you know, research projects around, um, you know, uh, things like flavonoids or other small molecules that are of interest that are produced in this plant. Uh, certainly nutritional uh, things like you know, protein and amino acid profiles, fatty acid profiles, even fiber, you know, all of those are part of the, the you know, long-term plan in terms of some of the research that we want to accomplish there. And, you know, at, at the, uh, the other part of that is the, the opportunity for partnerships. And so, you know, really trying to create a, uh, uh, an opportunity to bring in uh, some of the academic uh, institutions that we've already started working with and other ones that we're, we're, we're engaged in discussions with, you know, and how can we, you know, bring, uh, you know, some of the academic research community, you know, some of the, the you know, commercial or industrial uh, side, you know, companies like ours, there's, there's other companies in the space as well. How can we bring uh, those together and uh, leverage, you know, our team's analytical chemistry experience in the Shimadzu uh, equipment platform? You know, I ought to take just a second to mention, you know, our team uh, on the chemistry side, you know, under, under the leadership of Dr. Reggie Godino, you know, he's really assembled a team of, of probably, you know, most of the world's experts on uh, cannabinoid and, and, and terpene chemistry and people. And so, you know, understanding, you know, uh, how these cannabinoids and terpenes, you know, interact with the endocannabinoid system, uh, you know, how to analyze them effectively. You know, I mean, we look at, at cannabinoids that maybe not a lot of, of, of other analytical groups look at, um, you know, we develop techniques, uh, you know, to, uh, to dig deeper in terms of the chemistry of this plant than what, uh, what, what you might get at your, you know, your local uh, testing shop. So, you know, we're really, uh, you know, the, the center of excellence is really a, a platform to take that expertise, take the, the, you know, some of the industry's best instrumentation and put it together and, and hopefully solve problems you know, uh, all the way from, you know, academic, you know, research level problems to, you know, commercial product development efforts that we're working on in our breeding program, or that we're collaborating with uh, product companies on in the space, you know, for whether it's different cannabinoid products, or, uh, or, or other applications as well. Really fascinating. And, and, you know, you say that you've assembled a team of experts in uh, chemistry and other fields, but Really, you've, you've done a great job, John, of, of 
assembling a team of experts in many fields. You have uh, Dr. Cecilia Zapta, who's the vice president of your nursery and overseeing the clean stock program, want to understand more about what that is. But you also have uh, Lee Haley, director of operations that's running the hemp nursery with over 30 years in commercial uh, nursery industry. And Ray French is a, a known quantity in ag as the vice president of business development. Uh, so you really have brought together an exceptional team um, in order to help bring, I guess, a science and data-driven uh, breeding programs and efforts into the industry. Uh, you also mentioned that you're working extensively on the metabolites that cannabis produces. Cannabis can produce over 550 different chemical compounds. And, you know, most people are only testing for, say, the top 10 or 20 cannabinoids and, you know, maybe 10 terpenes or a little bit more, but they're really just scratching the surface. Can you go into uh, your efforts, you know, to understand some of those metabolites at FRB and how you think they might play a role in the future? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the first thing to point out is, you know, in a, a modern breeding program, it all starts with the germplasm. And, you know, we've been uh, very fortunate. Uh, we've built a, a relationship and a collaboration with, uh, with the CRAG in Barcelona, uh, which is an agricultural research institution. And, uh, you know, through that partnership and then through our own um, efforts uh, in terms of bioprospecting and, and licensing, we've been able to assemble uh, you know, uh, one of the world's, you know, most diverse collections of, uh, of cannabis germplasm. Um, everything from, you know, grain and fiber varieties that, that you know, grow in places like Siberia to, uh, you know, to, to varieties that, that, that grow in equatorial regions. And, and then even, uh, you know, everything from drug type, high cannabinoid to, you know, to, to, to more industrial type. So, um, so it all starts there. And, you know, as we have, uh, you know, begun breeding and screening, you know, all of these different varieties, um, and as I mentioned, our analytical chemistry methods, we're able to look fairly deep into the chemistry of, uh, of, of each of these plants. And as we cross them and look at new populations, you know, we're able to uh, really get a nice glimpse at, at some of the interesting and, and diverse chemistry that, that happens in this plant. Uh, so cannabinoids are a big one, right? So everybody talks about, uh, you know, CBD and THC, and there's now people talking about things like CBN and CBG and CBC, and then even what we call the propyl cannabinoids or things like THCV or CBDV. And, you know, those are all, you know, uh, active programs that we have, and we have varieties that are already producing all of these compounds, um, you know, for different applications, whether it's in hemp or cannabis. And, um, but there's, there's a layer beyond that. And, you know, that, uh, that, that we're looking at. And, um, and then certainly the terpenes are a big one as well. Um, but, you know, there's things like flavonoids and, uh, and, and some other interesting compounds uh, that we believe, and, and there's even some, some data out there in the literature around uh, how these compounds can have positive impacts on, on human health and, and even potential clinical applications um, in terms of, you know, being things, whether the dietary ingredients or, or potential active pharmaceutical ingredients. So, um, you know, we're, we've already discovered some interesting things uh, just over the last, uh, you know, the last year. Uh, some of the varieties that uh, that we've uncovered are producing things that, that we haven't seen before. Um, and that's super exciting. You know, I think, uh, you know, we know that uh, that some of these compounds are, are you know, it could potentially be uh, extremely valuable, um, you know, just as uh, things like THC and CBD have. And uh, so we're, we're really excited about that. And, you know, and I think, uh, you know, you, you dive in a, a, a layer further, you know, in terms of industrial applications, you know, we're also, um, you know, hemp, hemp seed on the, on the grain side or the protein side, it has some really interesting, um, you know, nutritional benefits, balanced amino acid profile, uh, balanced fatty acid profile, dietary fibers. There's a lot of, lot of uh, things that, that uh, we're starting to look at there in terms of as we start to uh, think about grain. And then on the fiber side, you know, to wrap it up, there's different types of fiber. There's longer fibers, shorter fibers, you know, some that are better for textiles, some that are better for, uh, you know, uh, construction materials and other, you know, types of, of composite materials, if you will, and even things like, like plastics and, uh, and, and other things that people are, or, or pressed wood products that people are starting to work with. So, um, 
you know, we're, we're leveraging our, uh, our, our chemistry expertise to, uh, to really understand uh, as many of those different traits as we can. But again, it all starts with the germplasm and, uh, and, and being able to, uh, to find these unique traits in the plant. So for our listeners, John, that might not be as up on their, uh, their science, can you just give a high level uh, definition of germplasm so that everyone can sure. kind of be on the same page and then fancy way of saying seed. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a way of, of talking about, uh, you know, the, the seed and the, the quote genetics, people say mm-hmm. genetics a lot in cannabis. Um, it's, it's really the, the, kind of library of genetics that we start with, right? And uh, from there, we cross, we mix, match, and we create new germplasm and new genetics, new varieties, and new seed. And, uh, you know, and then we, we evaluate and look for, look for winners and uh, take those on to the next cycle. Absolutely. And so when we talk about front-range bioscience and the cycle of plant development, you collecting germplasm which is really the DNA, the starting blocks of your program. And then you're obviously uh, running it through different test assays, understand the material you're working with. At what point do you move into tissue culture? And after tissue culture, what are the next steps? Because it looks like you're really building a, uh, a business to support not just the genetic side and the tissue culture, but actually into the nursery realm, what I would traditionally call liner nursery uh, of plant development. Yeah, absolutely. So tissue culture is uh, is an important tool in uh, in our toolbox. It's uh, it's an important platform technology that we use. Um, it, it serves several different roles, and uh, you know we we primarily use it to uh, to clean and maintain varieties, um, especially for vegetative production or what, what people in cannabis we refer to as cloning. And uh, so, you know, this is really the, the young plant side of our business, um, you know, where we, uh, we, we produce uh, uniform uh, clones and, uh, and young plants um, that, uh, that, that growers, you know, there's advantages to clones and vegetative. You, you have a, a uniform variety that looks just like the mother plants. You know what you're getting. Um, they're a little more expensive to produce, right? Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a little more expensive form of plant propagation than than sexual or seed production, um, but uh, but but it has its advantages. So, uh, and and with a tissue culture program, we're able to really maintain the level of quality and uh, also deal with certain disease pressure that we're starting to see really rear its ugly head in in, in cannabis. So things like hot latent viroid, um, we're also seeing uh, you know other opportunistic viruses uh, that, that seem to be, uh, you know, showing up in this plant. So um, tissue culture allows us to more or less deal with that um, and either uh, clean it, remove it, or isolate the healthy material so that, that we can we can put uh, plants out that are, are free of those pathogens. Um, it also serves the purpose of being uh, an opportunity for, you know, research platform. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, interesting things that can be done in the tissue culture lab. You've got this unique controlled environment. Uh, so understanding how, you know, different, uh, different hormones and different compounds, you know, affect, affect the plants, uh, you know, biochemistry and, and growth habits. Um, you know, there's a lot of opportunity there. And then, you know, certainly there's more advanced research, uh, you know, things like, like transformation and, and genome editing um, that can also be uh, accomplished uh, leveraging a tissue culture platform. So, um, you know, for us, it's really about, uh, you know, uh, supporting farmers with the highest quality reproducible uh, supply chain uh, that, that we can in their young plants business, you know, so really big and in, in regulated cannabis, um, you know, and, uh, and then certainly in hemp, you know, I think there's more of a focus on seed and uh, we certainly leverage our tissue culture lab to, uh, to help maintain uh, some of our parental lines and, uh, and, and also generate reproducible seed production runs uh, and, uh, and maintain the level of quality in our, our seed program as well. So for us, it, it serves several different roles. That's fantastic. And so the clean stock program is really just your use of tissue culture to provide that virus-free, vigorous, uh, uniform plant material to cultivators. Yep, exactly. It's, uh, it's really a, a quality control system or a quality system at the, uh, at the nursery level. And, uh, you know, it's been around for a long time, lots of different crops. And, uh, you know, we've got, uh, 
different pathogen, you know, tests and assays that we perform as part of that program. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot more challenging and complex than, uh, than, than it sounds. And I think a lot of people realize, um, and, you know, but at the end of the day, it's, it's really, you know, one of the best ways to maintain your plants or the best way to maintain your plants, uh, vegetatively and, uh, and, and, you know, kind of indefinitely and, uh, you know, and, and be able to, uh, to produce them for the different applications that we have. Fantastic. A question that I get from listeners all the time, I just have to throw it out at you, John. When you say that tissue culture can clean plants, can we just dive in a little deeper on that? Uh, if a plant has hop latent viroid virus, can it be cleaned? Uh, and maybe we can just talk a little bit about the tissue culture process as it allows the plants to be uh, produced in a more sanitized and uh, clean way. Yeah, so, you know, first, when you when you think about a tissue culture lab, it, it really is, you know, in a lot of ways, it's no different than growing plants in a greenhouse. It's just a sterile environment. And you've got a lot more control. You know, you're, you're instead of growing plants in, in soil, you're, you know, you're growing them you know, the tissue culture containers, which look like Tupperware and, uh, you know, and very specific, you know, matrix, you know, that's, that's sterile and clean um, in terms of, uh, of, of the, you know, what, what the plants are grown in. Um, in, in terms of, um, of, of dealing with things like hoplite viroid and other viruses, you know, these are actually pretty challenging pathogens uh, to, to deal with. And, um, hop latent viroid is a really interesting one. It, uh, you know, I think we're honestly, as an industry, still learning um, and, and trying to understand, you know, the full, uh, you know, pathology profile of this pathogen and, and how it affects the plants, um, you know, because what we've seen, you know, across the industry is um, a lot of variability in testing. Uh, so, you know, things that test positive, things that test negative, things that, that you know, show symptoms and test, you know, positive. Um, things that show that don't show symptoms and still test positive and vice versa. So you see a, a lot of mixed, um, you know, data kind of coming back in from the work that we're doing. And so it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's challenging when it comes to using tissue culture to quote clean. A lot of people have this really interesting concept that tissue culture is like a washing machine and you just throw your plants in, take them out. And there you go. You put it through tissue culture and now you've got clean plants. Um, doesn't work that way. And, uh, you know, I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions that we've seen in, uh, in, in the cannabis industry. It's, it's really a much longer term process. It can take uh, many months, even, even a year or more to, uh, to address some of these in, a, in an infected plant. Um, and it, it requires techniques like meristematic uh, or meristem uh, tissue culture work where you isolate, you know, the very, uh, you know, uh, the very tip of the of the plant where it's growing, um, you know, trying to use words that people understand, but you know, the, the very end of the shoot tip at a microscopic level, right, where you've got these, uh, you know, unique, um, you know, uh, cells that are that are not infected by the virus yet. Uh, so you isolate those and then you you grow them up. Um, you know, there's also therapies that you can do, uh, different things like heat uh, and other treatments that you can apply to the plant to uh, to to try and, and and deal with some of these pathogens. You've also got microbes that are they're a constant battle in tissue culture, right? Whether it's you know plant tissue culture, you know other types of tissue culture, you get things like yeast and bacteria, fungus and mold, and all of these things that that you know that uh, that, that like to get in your sterile environment and uh, and wreak havoc on the system. So um, so you know it it really is a, a lot more uh, challenging than I think people realize. And you know we we definitely have been able to you know successfully you know, isolate and produce clean, healthy material that, that has been infected. Um, but it's, it's not easy. And, uh, and it requires uh, specific tests um, at certain points in the process to verify and then validate that you've solved the problem. Um, and, you know, and then to take it a step further, solving the problem in tissue culture, you have to get the plant out of the lab and back into its growing environment and into the greenhouse. And so it really requires you know, additional steps at the nursery level and at the production level to make sure your plant is healthy and vigorous, right? So it's really about, uh, you know, maintaining the health and the vigor of the plant through that entire cycle and minimizing any stress, right? And pathogens like virus and, and, and other disease or pests are, are 
at the end of the day, they're, they're stressors. And that's, that's why they, they affect the plant the way they do. So it's really about minimizing that stress through the entire cycle. And, uh, and that's how you really effectively solve some of these pretty challenging uh, pathogen issues. Thank you for clearing that up because it is something that I'm sure you've heard many a time. I hear all the time that people have a, a variety or a strain they've been working with for a while and it's lost its vigor. They say, oh, I'm going to have it tissue cultured. And when it comes back, it'll just be as vigorous as it was, you know, 10 years ago. And to me, I think, well, there's plant health issues, there's viruses, potentially, there's lack of culture that has led to this loss of vigor and, and tissue culture isn't this magic, you know, put it in a flask and take it out and it's all better. You're talking about a many month or, if you know, year long process, if not more. But at the end of the day, even if you go through all of that, your practices, your operational practices at the nursery level are really going to impact the longevity of that clean plant staying clean. Uh, and from the orchid world, we learned a long time ago where orchids can go living for hundreds of years. And so the potential to pass viruses is, is very large. Uh, working with that particular plant group, you know, there's practices that are really designed around minimizing, uh, transferring a tool from one plant to another, anything that cuts or scrapes plant tissue you never want to use before it's sanitized, uh, steps using uh, different sanitizers on your tools, as well as, you know, just practices about how you even treat insects that suck and pierce because they can transfer a virus from one plant to another. So not only is tissue culture uh, a necessary step in the cleaning process, but it really also goes to your greenhouse operations if you're going to be able to maintain that kind of environment and that vigor uh, and healthy plant stock. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of times, you know, people want to want to look at the nursery as, you know, oh, this is the, the, the issue. But, you know, we're trying to work, you know, closely with customers. As I mentioned, we've developed uh, new assays for hop latent viroid uh, that, uh, that, that, that are, you know, I think we think are a little more accurate and more sensitive, um, you know, and we're certainly trying to work with our customers and educate them on, you know, on what, what they're part of the the, of the processes, right? And, you know, you can take a perfectly clean plant, all of a sudden it goes into a, a nursery or into a, a facility and, you know, and somebody cuts on it with a, a, a dirty tool and you've now infected that, that, that clean plant and, you know, and it has nothing to do with what happened at the nursery. It, it's Not unfortunate. Enough. So uh, a, a part of, of the process. So, yeah, so I think there's a lot of education and look, I think, um, you know, one of the things that, that I think is always really important to remember when you look at, you know, at, at breeding and nursery and, 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 and tissue culture and clean stock, you know, cannabis growers and breeders and growers, I mean, they haven't had access to any of these tools, right? Um, and, you know, it wasn't because they didn't want to or because, they, you know, they were, they were busy trying to hide their plants from the DEA, right? So, yeah. you know, it, it, unfortunately, you know, they had to, to, to do things that you normally wouldn't do in uh in in a, a, a common agricultural setting and so you know it's it's unfortunately there have been a lot of bad processes and uh and protocols and things that have, that have been developed or that have evolved uh you know out of that prohibition era you know mentality and so it's uh it's 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 super unfortunate but i think on the the bright side you know that's one of the reasons we we set up front range was to really help bridge that gap and and help bring you know some of these modern tools and technologies to the forefront of this industry and and give these growers the tools so that they can be more successful and uh and and growing their crops and um you know and solve some of the reliability and supply chain issues that uh, that we see a lot in in, in the modern regulated uh, cannabis world so um you know it's uh it's exciting times and i think a lot of people are really starting to embrace and and learn these techniques. We're just seeing, uh, you know, a, a lot of, of growth and, uh, and and evolution in this industry very quickly. You know, it's all happened over the last decade. So it's uh, it's really exciting to see, and we're, uh, we're we're thrilled to be a part of it. I, I second that, and it is wonderful to see these best practices, these technologies being adopted so readily into a uniquely mature and immature industry that that can benefit so greatly from them. Um, you mentioned something a little bit ago talking about seed stock and trying to get uniformity through breeding. So the tissue culture is genetic copies of plants, 
but with seed, there's inherent variability. What kind of efforts have you uh, taken and to produce seed that is more stable for large scale hemp producers or cannabis producers uh, that, that might not have been, I guess, taken on in years prior? Yeah, so it's uh, it's one of the, the fundamental goals of uh, of our of our seed development and breeding program is uh, to you know increase the stability and by stability you generally mean uh, you know the uniformity across the seed population that comes from a pollen donor and a pollen receiver um, you know and so you know we're leveraging you know different breeding techniques um, you know there's there's in 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 breeding there's there's outbreeding there's uh different ways to cross uh you know plants you know um you know down through generations uh you know what we call sibling crosses you know between uh you know individuals in a population so there's lots of different approaches that we use uh we combine that with uh, our, our marker assisted uh, program so we've built um you know one of the world's largest uh, databases um of uh, of genomic genomic information and not only that but but mapping that genomic information to specific traits so uh cannabinoids and terpenes um are big ones but but also you know we're we're working on other traits, you know, agronomic traits, you know, uh, pest resistance, powdery mildew resistance, those types of things. Um, so the marker assisted technology kind of gives us a way to shortcut that breeding cycle. You know, traditionally you cross two plants, you grow off the population, you select the ones that, that, that have the traits you want, and then you do it again. And, you know, you do it again and again and again, and it can take five, six, seven, even 10, 12 generations, depending on the plant and where the, the, the starting plants came from, right? Um, you know, even with a short cycle crop like cannabis, it's equates to years, right? Um, you know, with, uh, with some of the marker technology that we've developed, we're able to uh, short circuit some of that, right? So we can take a population and from the moment those plants, uh, you know, uh, create their, their first leaves, we can take some of that material and, uh, and get a lot of information to say, all right, is this plant going to be a CBD producer or a THC producer or a CBG producer or, you know, other, other characteristics that we're looking for in that population. So we can do that without having to grow the plant out. Um, you know, so then we can, you know, take a, a few thousand plants and select the, the top five or 10 that have what we're looking for and then start the next cycle a little bit faster. So it's, uh, you know, it's accelerating the program, um, you know, and uh, the end result is, you know, the ability to look for more uniform populations faster. And so that's, that's really what we're doing. And then another key part of that program is especially for, for, for hemp, um, but, but also, you know, regulated cannabis as well is, is, you know, because the information translates, they're all the same plant. Yeah. Um, but our outdoor field program, right? So, so field trials, we, you know, we run uh, multiple sites around the country, different microclimates, soil types, uh, you know, different growing styles and techniques um, that, that farmers deploy in cannabis. So we, we, we combine all of that data, um, you know, as well to understand, you know, uh, how these plants respond to their environment and the different stressors. Uh, this year was a great year for that. We had hurricanes and wildfires and floods and uh, even a tornado. So, you know, we, we got our chance to really put put the plants through the uh, ringer under under all of these conditions. And uh, it's pretty fascinating. It turns out cannabis is, uh, you know, if it's if it's a, a high quality, you know, bred material, it, it quite vigorous and it can survive pretty much all of these things it's uh it's it's you know it doesn't uh it doesn't give up um and uh you know and it's and, and still finished and produced a crop right um whereas you know a lot of other other types of crops would have been uh you know would have been, been toast so um pretty pretty fascinating from that perspective and you know to kind of wrap this up on the you know on the uniformity side you know the, the end of the day it's it's really about um you know, minimizing the risk to the grower by giving them confidence and, you know, and the uniformity of their crop, right? If they're trying to grow for CBD or for flour or whatever they're doing, it's really about, um, you know, giving them the most bang for their buck, right? The, the most yield per acre after what, what they're after. And, uh, you know, the more uniform your crop is, the more the easier it is to manage, uh, you know, the, the more you can rely on it from an ingredient or product perspective after harvest, you know, what you're getting. Uh, so that's, that's really, you know, how it all ties together. There's so much value in that. And I thank you for the service FRB is providing because 
there's huge variability in the current seed stock that's available. And people are even having trouble finding feminized seed that's reliable. You're taking it way past that to stability of genetic tripes, the morphology of the plant, the structure, the chemical production, and you're giving farmers the ability to rely on their crop just the way they would if they were growing wheat or corn. You know, you talk about it as uh, helping the farmers know what they're going to produce and, you know, being able to count on that. Not really any different than the early mortgage lifter tomato, where the guy developed a variety of tomatoes that was so vigorous that he was able to pay off his mortgage, hence mortgage lifter. Um, but, you know, with cannabis, we don't have that consistency. We have a lot of diversity. We have a lot of people that were in the clandestine market that were breeding drug type and hemp varieties were probably lost all over the world at one point because uh, it wasn't being produced. So your germplasm reserves are, are hugely valuable there. But you also talked about, uh, you know, essentially, how do I put this? Uh, taking the field production to a new level, doing uh, what would be in traditional big ag trial gardens all over the country to not just see how it performs in your lab or your greenhouse, but you're really trying to understand how different varietals will perform in different territories, different geographies, different climates. Uh, is that kind of a program run with universities? Is it run with individual farms? How do you collaborate on uh, the, the site selection for these trials? Yeah, so uh, universities and, and academic uh, groups, ag extension groups are, are a big part of that. So, you know, for example, this year we ran a, a program, a field trial, excuse me, with um, University of California Office of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Uh, so we ran a couple of sites in, uh, in, in California this year for hemp. Uh, we also worked uh, with several other universities, you know, throughout the, the, the U.S. Um, you know, uh, Cornell is one, I think, that, uh, that, that, that ran a program. We worked with North Carolina State um, in, in a prior year. Uh, you know, so there's, there's a bunch of different groups um, that uh, Florida, um, um, AMU. So, you know, there's, there's anyways, a number of universities that, uh, that, that we've worked with and um, they're all very interested in the space. So that's one way we also have what we call, you know, commercial um, uh, partnerships. Um, so we've got, uh, you know, some of our customers and farmers and growers that, uh, that, uh, you know, either have some extra space or, you know, that we have a, a, a kind of a, a trial partner program. So some of our, our, you know, bigger customers, um, you know, we'll give them early access to look at new genetics. And so we'll work together to trial those out and, uh, and, and, you know, get some feedback from them on, uh, you know, strengths and weaknesses. So um, it's kind of a combination of, 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 uh, of, of different uh, programs that we run. And, uh, and then, you know, some of the, we also have some of our own uh, space that we either contract out and, uh, and where we manage the, the field directly so that uh, we get, you know, first, firsthand uh, knowledge of, uh, of how these plants are performing. So, you know, it's a, it's a long process, honestly. And, and, you know, I think the, uh, the reality is, is that, you know, there's a lot of people making claims about seed and, you know, and, and, you know, we, we know everybody in this industry. And when you look at, you know, the seed that's out there, the reality is, is we're all still pretty early. You know, it, it took decades for most other crops uh, to reach the levels of, of, you know, of stability and, and uniformity. And then some of the more important agronomic traits that you see, <clears throat> um, it really did, did take decades. And, you know, we're really just a few years into modern outdoor hemp farming or cannabis farming. Um, so, you know, I think there's still a ways to go. And, you know, I think one of the things that, that we really try to do is, work with farmers, you know, to, to get real feedback, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you tell everybody you've got, you know, perfect seed, you know, it's, it's, you know, and it's not true that, you know, it just, it doesn't, doesn't help anybody. And so, um, you know, we, we don't, we don't claim to, to, you know, know everything about this. And, you know, I think we're all, we're all learning together. And so I think it's really about, you know, that, that collaborative relationship with the farmers, uh, collecting that information, getting the feedback, good, bad, ugly, you know, it's, it's all important feedback and it, it really helps drive, you know, the next cycle so that, you know, the goal is 
year over year, season over season improvements, right, in their profitability as a farmer, you know, the, 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 the crop and the margin that they're able to generate on that crop, you know, that's what the goal is for, you know, for, for, for a modern, you know, breeding and, and seed development company, right? Um, it's, it's about making improvements year after year. And so, uh, you know, we often, you know, we, we certainly encourage folks to, uh, you know, to spend some time, you know, getting to know uh, the, your, your seed company and uh, your nursery companies that you work with. Um, you know, unfortunately, there's there's been a lot of, of misinformation and misleading information out in the industry around seed stability and around, you know, what these plants do and don't do. And then you layer in the whole, you know, complication of feminization and whether it's truly feminized or not. Um, you know, and there's challenges with feminization too, right? It's not this simple thing that you just feminize the seed and now it's all perfectly female, right? Um, there's a, a lot of underlying biology and and uh, and, and genomics involved there. So. Um, so anyways, so, you know, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's an exciting time to, to be in, in the seed development space. Um, but there's, there's certainly uh, a long ways to go, um, you know, for, for the industry as a whole. And, uh, and then we've got new and emerging challenges like, like hoplite and viroid and other, other pathogens and pests that are now jumping from whatever crop they used to feast <laughs> on to this new one. Um, so there's, there's a lot of challenges still. And, uh, you know, I think that's what, what keeps us excited is uh, you know the opportunity to uh, to continue to to try and solve those problems and uh, and really help you know help support uh, growers and farmers and uh, and and build up build up those communities. And, and John, you're talking about supporting them with you know consistent genetics, uh, you know not necessarily uh, virus immune to viruses, but more resistance to plant pathogens and diseases. I know recently there was a company in Israel that was talking about uh, having developed uh, varieties with PM resistance. And you and I had talked about that. And I just want to unpack that a little bit because I think that there might be some misconceptions around that. You know, have you heard about that development and, and what are your thoughts? Certainly. So, you know, the, there, there's a company that's claimed to have, uh, you know, implemented genome editing technologies uh, using the CRISPR-Cas9 uh, platform. Um, you know, in cannabis, you know, the, uh, you know, as somebody who's, who's spent you know, the last 20 years, uh, you know, building and, and developing technologies, including working with, uh, you know, with, with CRISPR genome editing uh, and more complicated organisms like, uh, like, like people, um, you know, and understanding how those technologies can be used. Um, I have to say that, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, the technology is a lot more complicated and takes a lot more time than, um, than, than people let on um, or that, that, you know, the press has kind of made, you know, it's, Oh, you can do this in your garage and it takes a year. And blah, blah, blah. you know, it's no, it's still a multi-year multi-million dollar uh, type of investment. Um, and, uh, and then at the end of the day, it doesn't work perfectly every time. So, so anyway, so I, I think there's a lot of uh, things to keep in mind when you start, uh, you know, talking about genome editing and CRISPR and, and how those technologies get used. The reality is, is it turns out cannabis is, uh, as we talked earlier about all of the different uh, chemistries that it produces, you know, through its own biology, uh, it, it turns out it has the ability to be naturally powdery mildew resistant, <laughs> um, as, as well as resistance to other things. Uh, you know, we've, we've got varieties that we're working with that, that show, uh, you know, increased resistance to, to different pests, um, you know, in, including, you know, molds and fungus and, you know, bacteria. I mean, it, 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 it honestly, you know, has the ability to do a lot of this naturally. It's just about finding those traits mm -hmm. and then uh, and then breeding them so that they express, uh, you know, in a in a seed population or in a plant um, more effectively. So I think that's one thing to keep in mind. Um, you know, I think that uh, it's it's exciting to see that you know that folks are are trying to to deploy these technologies. Um, I think the challenge that you have with with cannabis is that. Uh, you know, unlike other crops where we have a really strong understanding of the underlying biology, we've spent tens of millions of dollars on genomics, data collection and analysis. You know, we've mapped, you know, lots and lots of different genomes and put them out in the field. And then you've had stable or stabilizing breeding practices where you inbreed, you know, you have true inbred lines where you track their lineage for a decade, for example, <laughs> and you know how those, those, you know, perform and and anyways all that doesn't exist in cannabis so 
you know, if you're trying to do something like genome editing, you really need a, a strong roadmap. And that roadmap from, from what we've seen, and, and again, we've got one of the largest genomic databases in the world, um, there's still a lot to learn before you have a complete roadmap. And then more importantly, you've got to develop the stable inbred lines so that you have, you know, a, um, in, instead, of the, instead of your roadmap being a maze, which is what it is right now, where you've got all of these different knots in the genome, things that, you know, don't make any sense. And you've got multiple copies of this and multiple copies of that. And you turn this one on and this one comes on. And it's a very kind of messy genome right now. You've got to solve that problem first, I think, from my perspective, before you can truly see fast and, and validated results, fast being two to three years, to take a product to market at minimum, um, you know, using these technologies. So I, I still think it's early, and I, I think, um, you know, I think there's ways to, uh, to, to develop different types of, of pest and uh, pathogen resistance um, through marker-assisted breeding technologies and, mm -hmm. and, and other technology, you know, other more typical breeding um, practices that are cheaper and sometimes easier and faster than, uh, than, than trying to, to go through the genome editing approach. Well, FRB, Front Range Bioscience, is definitely an expert in the field when it comes to genetics as well as that roadmap. You know, you, you talk about us not understanding the underlying biology of, of cannabis. I mean, in the past hundred years, people focused on wheat, trying to understand how they could have varieties with a slightly different chaff to let it separate. I mean, Borlockian wheat to feed the world. But the fact is, none of that's been done on cannabis. People are focused now on traits like yield or disease resistance, but that's really a high level macro trait. And there's so many that it sounds like from your discoveries or Front Range's discoveries, are interlinked, where if you are working on gene editing and you happen to turn on uh, one gene, it might express three other related as a side effect. And you need to know that so you, uh, as the roadmap uh, analogy continues, you don't end up in a giant pile up in the middle um, with undesirable results. What is marker-assisted breeding? Uh, what is a directed breeding program? Because I think that is something that, that not enough breeders in the cannabis space and the hemp space are, are using uh, base, based on the results we're seeing. So what is a directed breeding program and, and how would you incorporate those markers uh, or marker assisted breeding to uh, achieve consistency? Yeah, so, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, how we use markers to shorten the cycle and the selection cycle in a population once you, you grow it up. Um, you know, that's, that's really the, the, the primary function. You know, the reality is, is that, uh, you know, it, it takes, takes time and it takes resources to, uh, to build and then not only to build the markers, but then again, you have to validate them, right? Um, you know, a lot of folks don't realize the level of scientific validation that's required to deploy these technologies, right? And, you know, you look in, in human health is, is, you know, is, is a classic example where, you know, you, you think you've got something and then you find some unwanted side effect that shows up two or three years later. Right. Um, you know, and, or you, 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 you know, you think you've got a specific marker or a protein or a gene that does something, but then you find out that you were completely wrong, um, you know, down the road. And, and it's actually some other thing that you didn't see, um, you know, so it requires a lot of validation. And I think, you know, for other breeders and growers, uh, you know, to, uh, deploy those technologies or use those technologies. Um, I think it's a pretty heavy lift, honestly. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's not, you know, it's an area of specialty, an area of ex expertise that, um, you know, requires millions of dollars, lots of education, uh, the right resources to actually truly be, yeah, to really be able to use its, uh, its, you know, use it effectively. And so, um, you know, we, we, we're, we're open to working and collaborating with folks. We work with other breeders. Um, you know, I think there's a, a lot of room for collaboration in this industry. It's still very early in terms of our overall understanding of this plant and the biology of it um, and the breeding of it, as we've talked about. So, you know, we've, we've set up our company as a, as a platform to, you know, work. We're obviously developing our own varieties, but, but we also are, are working with other, other breeders and growers. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, 
our goal is to, to develop new genetics for these folks that give them product differentiation. We've talked a lot about hemp, but, but cannabis is honestly, you know, it's, it's such a huge and fast growing market and there's so much consumer demand for these products uh, across the world. And, you know, and at the end of the day, we've got the technology and the ability to, you know, fine tune and tailor cannabinoid profiles, terpene profiles, you know, whether it's for flavor and a smokable product or whether it's an effect and an edible, you know, all of those things um, are, 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 are traits that we have and we have the ability to support other growers and breeders with in their programs. Um, and we're open to doing that, right? Um, you know, and, uh, and, and so, yeah, so that's, that's kind of our approach to it. Um, in, in terms of, you know, really trying to be able to leverage the marker or directed breeding platform that we've built, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to develop new varieties that, uh, that at the end of the day, uh, you know, solve problems for, uh, for these different product companies across the space. It's fantastic. John, you guys at FRB have assembled an absolute team of experts. You're attacking the industry in a very necessary way, you know, from the beginning. How do we get plant stock and the quality of that plant stock? Um, I guess to close up the conversation for the day, what's next for Front Range and uh, where do you see the industry headed? Uh, obviously, uh, separation of hemp and the drug type cannabis, but you're addressing both of those markets. So what's the future hold for FRB? Um. You know, I think it's it's a really exciting time. Uh, we're really thrilled about you know some of the advancements that uh, that I think happened the last election cycle. You know, we saw more states uh, bring legalization um, you know to the forefront and make it a reality. Um, there's a number of other states you know heading in that direction over the next couple of years. You know, we certainly see uh, you know organizations like the World Health Organization and and uh, international governments. Uh, you know, the EU, you know, their views on, on CBD. I mean, it just, you know, there's a lot of momentum uh, for both uh, cannabis and hemp and the compounds that come from them around the world from a regulatory perspective. So we're really excited about those developments. Um, you know, we think that, that, uh, that the cat's out of the bag now for sure. And, uh, you know, and, and this thing is headed towards, um, you know, this is going to be, you know, the, the world's next commodity crop and it's got applications across a range of different industries. Um, you know, we're, we're big believers in, in regenerative agriculture. And we think that, that this plant, you know, whether it's, it's for hemp or for regulated cannabis, we think it, it represents an opportunity to, you know, really showcase, uh, you know, how you can use regenerative agriculture to, to build a more sustainable supply chain. Um, you know, uh, everything from it being a, a carbon neutral or carbon negative plant that's pulling carbon down into the dirt um, to, you know, to supporting, uh, you know, renewable product uh, cycles like plastics and, you know, fiber and construction materials, you know, all made from, from this plant, um, you know, all the way to uh, the opportunity to change human health and wellness. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, we're, we're seeing a, a lot of um, exciting new products, you know, with these new minor cannabinoids. Um, you know, we're, uh, we've got products like THCV, for example, in the regulated cannabis space that are just, you know, really exciting, uh, you know, new cannabinoids that, uh, that, that are coming to market. Um, you know, things like CBG, CBC, CBD, I mean, all of those together, uh, you know, we see huge opportunities in terms of wellness products, even dietary ingredients on hemp. Um, so we're, we're really excited. I think, uh, you know, I think the industry still has a lot of hurdles to overcome. I think there's still a lot of uh, wrong that has to be undone, you know, especially when you look at the legal system and, you know, the number of people that are still incarcerated and, uh, you know, and, and paying the price while there's companies out here, you know, making money on this crop. Um, I think a lot of that still needs to be addressed. Um, there are a lot of groups that are, you know, making really strong, uh, you know, efforts there and, and making, making progress. Um, but, you know, we think that's important as well when you look at the future. So overall, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're really excited about the future of the industry. Um, you know, we're, we're making a big push, uh, you know, with, with our cannabis genetics program. Um, you know, there's, we've certainly seen uh, a lot of interest from some of the more, you know, evolved product companies and uh, some of the product differentiation that we can bring. So that's a big focus for us this next year. Uh, you know, we're planning to, uh, to, to, to launch a, a cannabis genetics program 
uh, here in Colorado with uh, with some partners so that uh, you know we'll be able to offer you know some of these unique genetic opportunities and the breeding that we we can do um, you know to this market we're also uh, exploring other markets so um, I, I see a big push for cannabis um, and then uh, and then also you know continuing to uh, you know, to help drive the, the evolution of the hemp industry and, and including more industrial types like, like fiber and grain into the program that are, uh, you know, beyond just the, the CBD market that, uh, that evolved. So there you have it. It is such an exciting time. And John, thank you so much for sharing your time with all of us, as well as the future of Front Range Bioscience. It has been enlightening and very exciting to hear all of the genetic developments towards consistency and better products to allow farmers to uh, monetize their crops and produce healthier plants. So thank you for everything you do for the industry. And thank you again for joining us. This is David Kessler with AgriFi Live signing off. Everybody have a great day. And John, thank you so much again. We really are excited to see what Front Range brings to the hemp and cannabis industry this year. Thank you very much for the opportunity, David. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. And uh, yeah, look, looking forward to uh, staying in touch uh, over the next year. And uh, yeah, love to, love to do it again sometime. Me as well. Thank you again. Take care, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Future of Growth. We love to hear from our audience. Have a great idea for a guest or a topic you'd like us to cover? Thoughts you want to share? Reach out to media at agrify.com. Don't forget to stay connected with Agrify at Agrify Corp on all platforms and by visiting us at www.agrify.com. See you next time for another episode of The Future of Growth.